Come on, can we praise God one more time together? Lord, we just worship you. We praise you. We're here to be joyful in your presence, Lord. Praise you, God. Yeah, I love the words of John. The church is a place to be joyful where we remember the truth about who Jesus is. You know, my prayer for my life is that whenever I consider who Jesus is, the response in me would be praise. I want to live that kind of a life. Anyway, you can take a seat. I hope that's you as well. Sorry, that was a little bit direct and abrupt, but we've, uh, we're going to have some fun together here this morning. So the, the last couple of weeks, we've been speaking into this idea of the soul. Has anyone been here the last couple of weekends? If you have, you would have heard uh, Martin talk about the, the root of the soul. You might have heard me two weeks ago talking about finding clarity in the place of the soul. And this morning, I want to continue that conversation. And we've touched on this idea to have and know and experience renewal in the soul. So a couple of weeks ago, I reminded us of John 14 and verse 6. Does anyone remember what that verse is from two weeks ago? So I am the way, the truth, and the the life. There's Jesus making this declaration about himself. And my, as I reflected on that verse, to remember that Jesus is the way and the truth. He is the revealer, and he's also the life, that he is the renewer. And so what I want to lean into this morning is this idea of what does renewal in the place of the soul look like through Jesus? You know, one of the things that I love about the, the New Testament and, and in Scripture in particular, the stories of Jesus. We have our, our four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what's the other one? John, come on, just making sure you're awake, you're active, you're engaged. I love it. And across those four Gospels, we have all of these incredible stories of Jesus having interactions with people where he completely transforms their life. Don't you love those stories? If you ever experience those moments when maybe you're reading your Bible or you hear, tell, hear someone tell a story about where Jesus just shows up and radically brings renewal to someone's life and changes the trajectory of where their life is headed. You know, I wonder, have you ever had someone in your life, and you might need to think back a little bit, or it might be fresh for you, have you ever had a person in your life whose influence has radically changed your life? Has anyone had a person like that? You can think back to a moment, maybe it's, it's changed your career, it's changed the, the choices you've made around education, maybe it's changed the hobbies you've pursued, but someone you can think of that's had a radical shaping influence on your life. Have you, have you got that person in your head? You got someone like that. Now, it's a powerful thing when a person, a human being, can influence the future of our lives. But you know what's incredibly more significant? When our Creator God has the intention to influence the future of who we're becoming. And can I remind you this morning that Jesus is at work in your life whether you know it or not that He wants to bring newness of life to who you are, to bring transformation to your heart, to who you are. He has an intention for greatness and for each one of us to know more of the, the beauty and adventure of life in who Christ is. 
And so as I was reflecting on, on that belief that I have about who Jesus is, I started reading through some of these stories of life change in the Gospels, in the, the stories of Jesus. And it's just incredible. There's time and time again where Jesus will, will say, bring uh, a radical renewal to someone physically, blind people being able to see, paralyzed people being able to walk, in some cases dead people rising back to life. These incredible stories of physical renewal. But it's more than that. You see stories of social renewal, of relational renewal, of renewal most significantly of the soul where Jesus restores someone's concept of who God is and what it means to live a life connected to God. I love these stories because it gives me hope that God preserved those stories in Scripture so that I could know that Jesus can change my life as well that I can know the fullness of life that God created me to experience through Jesus. Now, there's a story I want to take us to this morning that we're going to have some fun with. And it's one of the stories, it's almost like an archetype for how renewal works throughout Scripture and people's interactions with Jesus. And we're going to go to the story of Zacchaeus. Anyone's heard this story before? Someone's heard it. Can anyone say Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus. That's just perfect pronunciation from everyone. I'm very good. So Zacchaeus, and we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus that comes from, from Luke's gospel. And, uh, and I want to, before we get to the scripture, I want to remind you uh, about who Zacchaeus is, if you've heard the story before. If you've never heard this story, it'd be a, this would be a fun one for you. So, so Zacchaeus, he's a Jewish guy, like Jesus, and most of the stories of Jesus are set in the context of the Jewish culture of the day. Now, one of the realities of the world that Jesus lived in as an Israelite, their, their whole country, all of their cities, all of their towns were now run by Rome. So Rome's taken over the world. It's that period of history. And, and Rome governs over all of these pre-existing countries. And what they have to do, like Israel, they have to pay a tax to Rome. Now, part of Rome's strategy is that they would make tax collectors out of people who lived in that area. So there was these Jewish people who Rome elected to become tax collectors that would take money from their, their Jewish brothers and sisters in order to give it to Rome. Now, Zacchaeus was one of these guys. And you can imagine that the people in Zacchaeus's community, other Jewish people, they didn't particularly like him. There was this thought that the tax collectors had kind of betrayed their people, betrayed their, their Jewish family, and now they were just serving Rome. And what made it worse, the, the power that they wielded in that position we can infer from a couple of different stories that often tax collectors would take advantage and take more than their share and cheat people. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So that kind of meant he was a, a, a kind of a boss over a, a, a group of tax collectors throughout a region. So probably all of the negative emotion that you might attribute to a tax collector, Zacchaeus is probably even in a worse situation. Now Zacchaeus, the tax collector, is about to have an encounter of renewal with Jesus. And as we follow through the Scripture, I think we're going to see some things that almost ring out to what it means to experience renewal in the Gospel. Are you ready to experience that together? Okay, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. And we're going to, to Luke. It's chapter 19, right? Can we get that? Yeah, beautiful. And we're going to start here in verse 1. And here's where it says, So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, interestingly, to help locate this story, Jesus is actually on his way to heal Lazarus, who, who sometime during this story passed away, and Jesus goes to him to, to resurrect him back to life. And even as he gets the, the chapter before this, he's entering into Jericho, there's a blind guy crying out for help on the, on the, just before the gates leading into the city. Jesus stops, heals him, and then he enters into Jericho. So that's what's happening. You can imagine the buzz amongst the city as Jesus 
Jesus enters as all this is happening. Now, in verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, he wanted to see who Jesus was. So, underscore that in your reading for a moment. This is the desire that Zacchaeus has. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he was a little bloke, he could not see over the crowd. Because you could imagine the, the energy in the crowd. Jesus has just miraculously healed a blind man. Now, at this point in his ministry, he's already a famous teacher, what they called a rabbi. People were gathering to see him. Zacchaeus couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, here's what I see in Zacchaeus as we think of this as a story of renewal, of Jesus bringing renewal and transformation to someone's life. It begins with a clear intention in Zacchaeus, and the intention is to see Jesus. I want to see who Jesus is. At that point, Zacchaeus doesn't necessarily have a concept of what he's going to find in Jesus, what he's going to experience in Jesus, what life with Jesus is going to be like. None of that. He just has this drive within him that says, I want to see Jesus. Now, whenever you look at a story of renewal throughout the Gospels, this is always what it begins with. It's amazing how many of the most powerful stories we have about Jesus begin with an interruption because someone is seeking him. Someone says, I'm going to see Jesus. And sure enough, they get the chance. So Zacchaeus begins with this intention, this desire to see Jesus. But then what we also see in the life of Zacchaeus is this defined action. So he says, I want to see Jesus, so I'm going to run ahead and I'm going to climb high. So there's this sense of intention coming together with defined action. Now what I see in Zacchaeus in this moment, he's becoming a seeker. He's becoming a seeker. He wants to see and experience Jesus. And as I reflect on, on what it means to know and experience more of Christ in my own life, to know and experience more of God, and to experience more of what He has for me, so often I think it begins with this. Am I seeking the presence of Jesus? So to seek the presence of Jesus, I think it's always about clear intention and defined action. That's what being a real seeker is about. Because we can have this general idea that, sure, wouldn't it be great to know more of God? Wouldn't it be great to experience more of Christ in my life? And I, I completely have that. I would love to know and experience more of God. But if there isn't clear intention, if there isn't defined action, it's likely that perhaps I'm not going to experience those things. So what defined action is present in your life that is leading you closer to Jesus? You know, I think of some different things that might be common for us. You know, we're all gathered here for church on a Sunday morning, which is awesome. This is such a great place to be, such a great place to invest time into your own journey of faith, that as we gather together as the church, it's almost like a, a catalyst for spiritual growth in our own lives as we encourage one another and get around one another as we praise God and acknowledge who He is. There's power in the church gathering together. That's why Jesus made it a thing right at the end of His ministry. So we can conclude that maybe, okay, if I go to church, that's going to help motivate me. That's going to help be a catalyst for spiritual growth in my life. Now, that can be a general sense of value. It can be like, yeah, going to church is good. I'll, I'll go to church when I can. Now, the difference between, say, clear intention and defined action might be this. So going to church has value. Now, here's my defined action. I'm going to make sure, whatever it might be for you, it might be one week out of the month, I'm going to be at church, non-negotiable. 
because I value it, because I want to experience more of Christ in my life. Or for you, it could be twice a month. It could be three times a month. It could be four times a month to say, this is a space that is a catalyst for spiritual growth in my life. So my defined action is to make sure that this Sunday morning slot, as much as I can, it's a non-negotiable. I'm going to be here. This matters. Or maybe for you, it's in the arena of, of maybe reading your Bible. Then I want to know more of who God is, more of His idea for my life. And I know that, that reading my Bible is probably a good place to start. And, and, and that's probably a good idea. Defined action is, okay, I'm starting a daily plan with my friend. Every morning, 7 a.m., I read my five-minute Bible reading plan, and then I begin my day. Notice the difference between intention and defined action. You know, in my household, pretty recently, we, we became a hide-and-seek family. Anyone got young kids here? Or, or slightly older kids, and you still love hide-and-seek. So for, for a good month, pretty much all my kids wanted to play as hide-and-seek. And when I say pretty much all, I'm like literally every ounce of free time, Daddy, can we play hide-and-seek? Or, Daddy, you know what might be fun if we play hide-and-seek? Now, what's really cool is, and for anyone that hasn't had little kids before, when they first start playing hide-and-seek, they are terrible at hiding. Anyone remember this? You have a little two-year-old that sits in the middle of the living room and puts his hand over his eyes and thinks he is just doing an amazing job hiding. And I'm counting in the kitchen, watching him sit down and cover his eyes. And, and you know, you pretend, of course, that you can't see them, and you wander around. You're like, are you in the kitchen? Are you? And you kind of walk past. And then, and then eventually, after a little bit longer, they become awesome at hiding. They realize that their little bodies can fit into places that daddy's body can't fit into. They get into all these weird cabinets and closets and ironing cupboards and all kinds of things. You know, this is a true story. About two weeks ago, I got to the point, and there's probably parents that have experienced this once before, where I dead set thought I'd lost my kids. Has anyone experienced that during a game of hide-and-seek? It went from like, okay, I'm losing this game of hide-and-seek to genuine concern that they've like left the house and gone and hidden down the street somewhere. My wife was out going to get some milk or bread or something, and I was actually thinking to myself, I need to wrap this up before she gets home. She cannot get home and be greeted by me saying, I have no idea where our children are. (laughs) They're three and four. You know, they've had a good run. I don't know where they are right now. But I had to find them, and this, this desperation got in my way. Okay, it's time to stop hiding. Where are you? Where are you? Come out, come out. And, and eventually, they, you know, I could hear some giggling as they heard my desperation, and they were in this incredible slot, uh, kind of in the back corner of this sliding door cupboard where a Christmas tree normally is. They got behind that somehow. I'm like, you guys are amazing hiders. But one of the things I love is when it gets to the seeking phase, that particularly when my oldest, when he starts seeking, he's just developed this process of working through the house and eliminating rooms and potential hiding spaces in the rooms. And he'll speak the whole thing out as he's going. So he'll start in, say, one of the bedrooms, say, okay, he's not in this bedroom. He's not in the cupboard. He's not under the bed. And the whole time I'm hiding, I can hear him speaking all this stuff out. It's just this defined process. He goes to the next room. Okay, he's not in the living room. He's not under the couch. He's not in the kitchen. He's not in that weird thing behind the laundry. You go into the other living room. He's not behind the couch there until finally he gets to the bedroom where I'm always under the bed watching NBA as I'm waiting for him to find me. Not always, but occasionally the temptation's real when you're, you know, you're just hiding by yourself, waiting for it to happen. And if you've been hiding too long, your wife can give some hints so you don't just abuse the game. And, uh, and, and I can hear him just systematically working through the house. And when that moment he finds you, this is obviously for a little kid, it's this moment of joy and excitement and, and then, okay, now you start counting. 
But I love the intention that he has when he's seeking. It's just this process where he's like, no matter what, I'm going to find you. And if it finally breaks down and he can't find me, he'll change his tone as well. He'll say, okay, daddy, time to stop hiding, come out. And that's when I know the, you know, the game's over and I need to do the right thing and start counting for him to go and hide. But I love this idea of just focused intention when it comes to seeking the presence of God. Because I know for too often in my life, I've got this general sense that I want to know more of who God is, experience more of who God is. And I have to ask myself, okay then, where's the action leading you to the presence of God? Are you really seeking or do you just want to know more of who God is? Because I reflect on my own journey of faith and I think there's a difference between those two things. So if we want to know more of the renewal of Christ in the place of the soul, I think this is a question we have to ask. Are we choosing to become seekers? And this is present in the life of, of Zacchaeus in this moment as well. And then one of the wonderful things you experience, that when you decide you're going to be a seeker of the presence of Jesus, you learn something very quickly, that Jesus isn't about hiding. That's not his deal at all. And you see it in this story. Let's pick it back up in our reading we're going to verse, uh, where are we going here? Anyone know where we're up to? Verse 5, thank you, visual team. You guys are amazing. So when Jesus reached the spot, Zacchaeus, he's run ahead, he's climbed up the tree. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Now notice the phrasing here, I must stay at your house tonight. There's this sense of urgency. It's like an imperative in Jesus. He's responding to Zacchaeus' seeking, and he says, I must be with you. I must hang out with you tonight. I'm going to spend time with you. And I love this as a reminder of the response to Jesus, that whenever we seek his presence, this is his attitude. I am going to stop everything and be with you. Do you know that's a promise? That whenever we seek God... Whenever we seek Jesus, whenever we place our faith in Him, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what we're facing, Jesus will be present in that moment. And that's what we see in this story. I must stay at your house tonight. So he came down at once. This is Zacchaeus climbing down from the tree. And he welcomed him gladly. Now, I love this. Remember, Zacchaeus at this point, he's got a bit of an idea of who Jesus is, perhaps forming in his mind. But he just wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to make sure that he had an encounter with Jesus. He didn't know what he was going to find. And then Jesus stops and says, me and you, we're hanging out. And Zacchaeus' response is to welcome him gladly. Now, verse 7 reminds us that all the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Remember, he's a tax collector. People don't like him. And so they're, they're muttering away, as they often do in response to Jesus' actions from time to time. So I love this attitude in Zacchaeus to welcome gladly the presence of Jesus into his life. You know, I think there's something in this idea that, that forms a part of what it means to know the renewal of Christ in our life as well. You know, you probably realized at this point in your life that different people, different situations, we welcome into our lives with varying degrees of gladness. I see some honest smiles around the place. For example, let's say this is a, a number one on the gladness scale, a number 10 being like, you know, your best friend showing up with a gift just for you. You welcome that gladly, right? Anyone welcome that gladly? Any, any like maybe wives or girlfriends here get an awesome Valentine's present this week? Did you welcome that gladly? 
You welcomed it gladly. That's like a nine or ten on the glad, I gladly welcome this into my life. Now, on the opposite side, we have the phone call from the telemarketer at 7.30 a.m. in the morning. He said, you know what, I'm not welcoming this gladly into my life. I was like, wait, wait, who are you? What are you selling me? Uh, okay, I'm not interested. Goodbye. No, no, wait, sir. I said good day. And you say goodbye. You don't welcome that gladly into your life. So there's this balance within us. Some things, some interactions we welcome gladly, some we don't. And if I'm really honest when I reflect on it, this is getting to this brutally honest part of what it means to be a human being. And we can grow through this and work on this and become less selfish in this space. But generally, the degree to which we welcomely, uh, we gladly welcome something into our life, we go, is the degree to which we think it will benefit us. Is that a fair conclusion? That if we think something's going to benefit us, like a rose and a box of chocolates from our sweetheart, for me it was lasagna and Coke. That's like my favorite thing. I'm not a huge Coke guy, but there's something about the combination with lasagna that just works. My, my, anyone else feeling that? My wife made that for me on Valentine's Day. It was amazing. I got her a bunch of native flowers because she likes native flowers, not roses. Right? That's another level, right? <laughs> and now everyone's like laughing at each other. Why didn't you get me native flowers? <laughs> That's what I wanted. So there's this scale, and the more we think something's going to benefit us, the more likely we are to welcome it gladly. So Zacchaeus has this value in his life, which, which translates something to this. If Jesus is present in my life... That is a good thing. It's pretty simple. If I spend time with Jesus, it's going to be good for my life. You know, I think one of the switches that needs to happen in my heart and in my soul and likely in your heart and soul is that we need to remember the incredible value of the presence of Jesus in our life and welcome it gladly as if it's something that we desperately need. Say, Jesus, I need your presence in my life. Whatever you have for my life, I welcome it gladly. When we have an attitude, we have a predisposition that says, Jesus, I want more of you in my life. We welcome gladly the presence of God. Now, it's at this moment that renewal happens. Now, in this story of Zacchaeus, it's like it's sped up to 10 or 100, this whole process. Anyone watch podcasts, listen to podcasts rather, and you can watch it at normal speed or you can like boost it up to four times speed or 10 times speed. Did you know you could do that? You could, if any podcast listeners, you can speed that up. So if it gets boring, you just, you know, go through it. Sometimes maybe some of you are wishing right now, can I do that to Phil at this moment? Let's just four times, eight times. Let's get to going. <laughs> so you have, you have, oh, I've lost myself now, I've made fun of myself. What was I talking about? Podcasts. Jesus' presence in our life. That sounds really nice. And so the story of Zacchaeus, it's this Jesus, Jesus' presence bringing renewal just kind of really sped up. Now, it's not always going to look like this in our lives, but here's what happens in the life of Zacchaeus. So he has that clear intention. He seeks with defined action. He welcomes gladly. And then here's what happens in Zacchaeus' life, the tax collector in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, and notice he's calling Jesus Lord. 
in this moment. Now, that's significant. That's not teacher. That's not rabbi. It's the Lord. And, and my sense is, as we read this text, there's probably more conversation that happens around the base of this tree than, than Luke gives us privy to in this text. That, that Zacchaeus has come to the conclusion that Jesus is not only a teacher, but he is his Lord now. This is the language that he's using. He said, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. It's massive, massive transformation in behavior. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. So he's not just talking about justice. If I've cheated someone, I'll pay back what I've cheated them. He's saying, I'm going to pay back what I've cheated them, and then I'm going to bless them four times over. This is a radical transformation in behavior. So Zacchaeus is primarily known for being greedy, this is what, what we get from the text. He's a tax collector. He takes, advantages, takes advantage of others to build his own wealth. And now there's this 180-degree turn from greed to extravagant generosity. You know, this is behavioral renewal. Now, there are certain parts of my life which I wish could transform like what we see in this story. There's just this instant transformation you know, some of you over the last couple of weeks, as you've thought inwardly about the condition of your soul and you've thought about things that, that maybe you need to work on, there's probably things that you wish, why can't I have a Zacchaeus transformation in this moment? There's just like, yeah, that's no longer an issue. That's no longer, you know, that's no longer a problem. I don't need to put in the work. I don't need to put in the time. I don't need to have great conversations. It could just be done. Now, that's not always the experience we have. In Zacchaeus, something miraculous happens in the presence of Jesus, and we see this renewal in behavior almost instantly. But here's the thing. Behavior and, and renewal in Jesus will express itself in behavior, but it doesn't begin with behavior. The renewal of Christ in our life isn't about changing our behavior. It's just not. It's something deeper. And this renewal and this transformation in Zacchaeus' life, it begins with Jesus' public declaration, I am having dinner with you tonight. Now, here's something that you need to know about rabbis and teachers in the world that Jesus lived in. They were, they were like the rock stars. I know it doesn't sound like it. They didn't have influences on Instagram. They had rabbis that work, walked on dirt paths. People wanted to be around them. People wanted to hear what they had to say. Now, when a rabbi went into a town, into a city, they, they were pretty nomadic. They'd travel around and they'd teach about the kingdom of God. Now, always they'd go into a town and they would find someone that was worthy of their presence. And when a rabbi went into your home, so if a rabbi chose to have dinner at my house, he was making a public statement about who I am. He was declaring that I had value. He was declaring that I was worthy. He was declaring that the words they used, the phrase they used, that his peace could rest upon my home, that there was nothing in me that would forfeit me from the presence of the rabbi. So when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm having dinner with you tonight, he's making a public declaration that the whole crowd can hear. He's saying, Zacchaeus, you have value. Zacchaeus, you are important. Zacchaeus, my peace is on who you are and your life. Now, this is why the crowd reacts the way they do. They all start muttering, what is he going to be Zacchaeus? He's a sinner. Because Jesus is making public, a public declaration about the value of Zacchaeus. Now, this comes into light a little bit more when we see the next thing that Jesus is going to say to him. Here's what he says. Verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. 
because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now, let's remind ourselves about the social and cultural realities that Zacchaeus is living with. He's a tax collector on behalf of Rome. Now, he has been disowned by his people. That was the response of the Jewish people to a tax collector. The thought was that they have turned their back on their people. They've turned their back on their cultural story. They've turned their back on their heritage. Remember, this is the heritage of the people of God, their story through the Old Testament. Zacchaeus has turned his back on all of that. He's no longer a child of God. He's no longer a child of Abraham, the promises in the Old Testament. He's floating off by himself. He's made decisions that he's caused himself to forfeit his heritage as a child of Abraham. And Jesus makes this declaration. He says, Zacchaeus, no, he's a child of Abraham. So here's what Jesus is doing. Through that action of saying, I'm going to have dinner with you, remember, it's the son of Abraham as well. He's altering something in Zacchaeus' belief system. And this is where renewal happens. He reinstates Zacchaeus in his position as a child of God. So now Zacchaeus believes something new about himself. And it's that transformation and renewal in the place of belief deep in the soul that a hundred times speed then expresses itself in behavioral renewal. Now this, I believe, is what God wants to do in our hearts, to bring renewal to the place of belief. You know, you'll see a model in education, in health, in sociology about behavioral transformation. I want to show you it really quick. I'm going to call it a model of renewal in our context here. So what we've seen in the, the story of Zacchaeus, and the first thing as readers that we notice is this, this radical change in behavior. He goes from being a tax collector, taking whatever he can, to, to incredible generosity. It's, it, is, it is a crazy transformation, and really, really quick. But then as we reflect on the text deeper, we realize that what actually shifts in Zacchaeus when Jesus says, hey, I'm hanging out with you tonight. In fact, I must be with you tonight. You've sought me, you found me, and now my presence is going to bring peace to who you are. Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. And through that exchange and then reinforced by Jesus stating, you are a child of Abraham, he's doing something right in the center. Zacchaeus now has a new belief about who he is, which changes his values. The most important things for him anymore, it's not money, it's not material things, but now his value is back in his shared community. I'm a child of God. I'm a Jewish guy. These are my brothers and sisters, which changes his attitudes, that they have incredible value, that I've got to do what I can to carry the blessing and love of God that I know deep in the place of my belief. And then very quickly comes out in his behavior, this radical transformation. So here's my prayer for you this morning, that God would remind you of something in the deeper places of your soul. That God would begin to ask the question, what do you actually believe deep down in there? What do you believe about who Jesus is? You can see that Zacchaeus is having this really quick shift in belief around Jesus. He's calling him Lord. He's calling him Savior. What do you believe about who Jesus is? And here's the real thing that I think transforms Zacchaeus' life, is he has a new belief about who Jesus sees him to be. 
this is, I want, this is what I want for us this morning, to be reminded of how Christ sees us. Now, unfortunately, I can't do every aspect of this in the 30 minutes we've got together here this morning. But I think I can give you something to do this week that's going to help you continue on in this journey. Now, there's two questions and two passages of Scripture that if you're, if you're serious, if you're right with me in this thing, so I want to know more of the renewal of Christ in my life, I want to give you two questions and two passages of Scripture to, to consider this week. Can we get those up? So we talked about Zacchaeus. Had intention, but he had defined action. He's, he's running ahead, he's climbing high. This is our running ahead and climbing high this week to experience more of Jesus. I want you to take a moment, take some time with a pen and a paper, not an iPad or a phone, because the great thing about paper is it can't magically produce red notifications and distract you in other places, unless you get bored and draw something red on there. But take a, take a piece of paper, take a journal, and answer this question. What does Jesus believe about me? How many answers do you have to that? And make sure you separate it, not from what do my parents believe about me, what does my friendship group believe about me, what do my colleagues believe about me, not even what do I believe about me. Say, what does Jesus believe about me? And take a few notes. Write down a few ideas. And then when you run out of things to write, read this scripture, Romans 8, 1 through 17. And these great words from Paul just speaking into the reality of how Jesus, Jesus sees us. It's something cool for you to do. And the next one is to, to anchor in, what do I believe about Jesus? What do I believe about my Savior? Zacchaeus gets to this moment, he's Lord, Savior. What do I believe about Jesus? Write some things down. I believe, believe he's my Savior. I believe that I have fullness of life because of the decision that he made to go to the cross, whatever it might be for you and your words. And then read this passage, Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. This, this whole process, it could take you as less as 10 minutes and as long as an hour. And hopefully that's not a direct male to female timing. Boys, we've got to work harder in these spaces. Come on, men, you with me? Everyone's pretty quiet except someone over there. I like it. Defined action for this week. You know, I believe that God wants to do something in the arena of belief this morning. Okay, I'm going to welcome the team up. And in fact, can we stand together? I want to pray for you this morning and give you an opportunity to respond. You know, I'm a big believer in the power of prayer. That one of the great things that we can do as a church is gather together in prayer, pray for one another. And this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you wherever you're at right now. But I also want to give you an opportunity like, like Zacchaeus, that whatever your journey is right now, you might be here and you're like, Christianity is a whole new thing for you. And you hear these stories about Jesus and how he can bring transformation to your life. Can I encourage you this morning, if that's you this morning, God has good things for your life. And you're here at a church, obviously, because you're exploring that idea. Can I encourage you again, Jesus has good things for your life. And this morning, become a seeker. Say, Jesus, I want to know who you are. Now, if that's you this morning, I'd love to pray for you. And there's others here where you've got to become a seeker again. You want to know more of the ongoing renewal of Jesus in your life. It's time to become a seeker again. Can we close our eyes for a moment? I'd love to pray. You know, Jesus, in this moment, I pray for anyone here that's still making sense of you, 
still making sense of faith. Jesus, I ask that in this moment you would reveal yourself to them. And if that's you and you feel comfortable, you can just pray a quiet prayer, even in your mind, or whisper it out. Jesus, I want to know you. Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, show me who you are. And Lord, I ask that you would reveal yourself to anyone that's crying out for you this morning. And God, for anyone else here this morning, their faith's in you. But maybe the the intentionality in seeking more of your presence, knowing more of your renewal, that's become maybe less of a focus. God, I pray for them as well, that you would breathe new life into their soul. Jesus, that there would be a new belief deep in the core. Jesus, I want to thank you that you're not interested in our behavior. You're interested in our hearts. You're interested in our belief. And Jesus, we place our faith in you this morning. Jesus, we place our faith in your resurrection. We place our faith in the truth of your gospel. Jesus, I pray that you would do something in the space of our hearts and our belief today, Lord God. And it would shape our values, our attitudes, our behaviors. But that's not the goal, Jesus. We just want to have faith in you. New faith in who you've called us to be. God, be present with every person here this morning. Yeah, we're about to sing that awesome song, Worthy, one more time. And like I said, I love prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I just want to give you the opportunity this morning as the guys lead us in this song. If you'd love someone to pray for you, maybe you just want the renewal of Christ in your life in a new way. You'd love someone to stand with you and pray. I'd love to pray with you this morning. We've got a prayer team that would love to do that as well. And and John and some of the other guys. If you want to come and, and just be prayed for, the renewal of Jesus, a fresh sense of his presence, we'd love to pray for you this morning. And also I want to give you a unique opportunity. If you're that person here this morning, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Come and come and grab me during this song and say, hey, would you pray for me? I want to know Jesus in my life. Come and do that. And if that's, if that's too tough for you, you can take a next step card and fill that out and take it to the welcome lounge after the, after the service. And I'd love to get in contact with you during the week. But don't worry about that. Just, just come. Let me pray for you. We're going to seek the presence of God. We're going to welcome him gladly. Let's worship for a few more moments here this morning.